Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Inside Florida Politics, powered by the USA Today Florida Network. Ron DeSantis and Nikki Haley square off in the third GOP presidential debate in Miami, while Trump tries to steal the show with a rally nearby in Hialeah. Hello, I'm Sarasota Herald Tribune political editor Zach Anderson, and those are the stories I'll be discussing this week with Palm Beach Post politics editor Antonio Finns and Palm Beach Post politics reporter Stephanie Matat, who are covering all the South Florida action yesterday. But first... Antonio and Stephanie, I know you both had busy nights last night covering the debate and the rally, but I know you still found time to pick some numbers for us. Uh, Stephanie, what do you have? I'm going to go with the decimal this time. I'm going to go with 56.6. 56.6. All right. Decimal places are allowed. Antonio, how about you? I guess Stephanie is trying to channel John, but uh, I went with 61,633. 61,633. All right. And my number is 65. Remember those numbers, folks. We'll tell you what they mean in Florida politics at the end of the show. Well, last night, the GOP presidential primary came to Miami and both Stephanie and I and Antonio were here to cover all the debate action. I'm actually still in Miami. I'm sitting in my hotel room recording this while I look out the window at the Miami Heat basketball arena. And it's a beautiful sunny morning here in Miami. Stephanie, I'm wondering, do you think it's a good morning for DeSantis? He went into last night's debate with the warning signs sort of uh, flashing for his campaign. I think if DeSantis, uh, DeSantis' campaign was a car, I think pretty much every warning light would be on right now. The check engine uh, light, the, you know, uh, get your oil replaced light, the, uh, you know, uh, battery charge light. DeSantis' campaign has been, uh, you know, struggling. And he went into last night's debate, uh, you know, really needing to, to, again, make an impression. We've said that about each of these debates, but uh, Nikki Haley really is, is creeping up on him now. She's pulled ahead of him in the polls, both in uh, New Hampshire and South Carolina, and was tied with him uh, in a recent Iowa poll, which is really bad if you uh, think about the fact that DeSantis is really banking his entire campaign on Iowa. There was a sense that maybe DeSantis needed to take Haley on directly and knock her off stride a little bit. What are some of your uh, takeaways from his performance? You know, I agree with you that it was a sunny day in South Florida, but I do think that there's some clouds in the sky for DeSantis after last night's debate. You know, he's been fighting with the former UN ambassador for second place since Haley's been on the rise in the polls. But last night really showed how she's been doing that, you know, and she's and how she surpassed DeSantis in early voting states since she would bypass shots thrown at her and snap back when provoked. But to DeSantis's credit, you know, he gave sharp answers on how he would offer support to Israel and was forceful about how he'd combat drugs crossing the southern border. But he was and he was strong about his position of punishing universities for allowing anti-Semitic protests. Yet he was careful in some topics. He would stay clear when asked if he would support a federal ban on abortion when that discussion came up and defending his position of no drilling in the Everglades. It, it was a strong night for him where he spoke to voters about the issues that GOPers care about. But he took about 45 minutes to get to jabbing at Haley and, it, and, you know, and 
that that time it was about courting Chinese businesses as governor. So viewers came in looking and I saw headlines everywhere looking to watch DeSantis and Haley. And that's that's what I saw absolutely everywhere. But Haley really came out in the spotlight for this debate. Yeah. You know, Haley has had some some uh, some really strong debates and, and she she actually was the one who came out swinging last night, not DeSantis. I, I noticed really that DeSantis never uh, went on the offensive. He was really only uh, going after uh, Haley and others when uh, he was attacked himself. And as you mentioned, Haley uh, went after him on on issues like uh, China. Uh, she also uh, attacked his uh, record on oil and gas drilling, again, noting that uh, he had signed an executive order when he was governor banning uh, fracking and offshore drilling in the state. She jabbed at him on the issue of Social Security. What what did she make of it? I mean, DeSantis really, again, was was much more uh, on defense than he was on offense. You know, yeah, that's that's exactly what I saw, where he he had these very sharp answers. He was focused on speaking to voters, but he didn't really go back and talk talk back to Nikki like everyone was expecting. Everyone is expecting that DeSantis was going to try to jab back at her, um, crit- criticize her. But that that's not what we saw over here. He was keeping kind of to himself. If anything, we saw all the spotlight between Vivek and Haley, um, especially when Vivek made that comment about Haley, Haley's daughter. That was really the sharpest exchange of the night. I mean, she called him uh, Vivek uh, scum uh, and said, "Keep my daughter's name uh, out of your mouth." Uh, that she she continues to to just really have some really pointed uh, answers on the debate stage and and really some of the most uh, viral moments. Antonio, I wonder what what you think of DeSantis's performance. He he seems to uh, you know do okay in these debates. Uh, you know, no major uh, flubs. But his answers are are pretty polished uh, and he really knows how to hit his talking points. But again, he didn't do anything to really stand out, I don't think. And he really uh, didn't take Haley on directly, uh, as a lot of people were thinking. He seems to be kind of playing it safe and and really not trying to have any major screw ups, but also not really standing out that much. Yeah, he, he sort of, if not for the name Donald Trump, that's what you would expect because he would be up to now, you know, sort of, of of that group that's on the stage, he would be the leader. And that's generally what the leader of the pack does, kind of stay above the fray, play it safe, don't commit a, a an unforced error, emerge still the leader of the pack. The problem is that he, he's not the leader of the pack. It right, that's what I'm going to say. He's, he, he's not really exactly. the leader. You, you can't act as no. the front runner when uh, you're losing in New Hampshire and South Carolina to key states. And, and he's actually pretty uh, far behind Haley in some of these uh, polls in early states exactly. and, and, and tied in, in Iowa. And these play it safe performances that he's done in these past debates haven't moved the needle at all. It, it, it You know, he keeps falling behind. You would think that at, at some point he's got to make a move here and try and stand out and try and do something to, to kind of get some momentum, get people fired up, get people behind him. But it still seems like he, he really is playing it safe. Because he is in the shadow and under the specter of one Donald Trump. And remember, we, if, if you roll back the clock four months, we'd be having the same discussion, but within the context of Trump attacking him, but DeSantis not wanting to attack Trump. And part of the problem that he has had all along 
is that he is in the same lane ideologically as Trump. And they're vying for the same number of voters, same crowd of voters. And the problem is that that crowd is very loyal to Donald Trump. The MAGA crowd is loyal to Trump, not to DeSantis. When you drive around, at least down here, I see Trump flags. I don't see DeSantis flags. The, the Trump movement is a very different political animal. And, I, and you get the impression that what DeSantis is concerned about is attacking Trump and then angering that group. Which, right. By the way, Trump is coming after him because he has painted this DeSantis as disloyal. Right. And the Trump base, the Trump base calling somebody disloyal is like in the mob calling somebody a rat. It's it. It's the it's a coup de gras. And and I believe that that has, you know, it's almost like the use of football analogy, a quarterback that gets sacked on a blitz. And then he's got that clock in his mind constantly. I got to throw the ball quickly. And it, it kind of everything discombobulates. And you kind of see that about him, that he seems very unsure of himself. Now, the other point that I'll bring up about the debate last night, which was the early viral moment, was when Vivek Ramaswamy went after Republican National Committee Chairwoman Ron McDaniel and basically pegged six years of losses, electoral losses, on McDaniel and basically humiliated her in front of her own audience in a debate that she is kind of presiding over. Um, and, and, and then she kind of shot back that, you know, this you know, internal Republican infighting doesn't help anybody. And this is something we saw play out in the U.S. House speaker fight, this internal Republican struggle between the, you know, the, the far right and the more establishment Republicans. And this is one thing that as we go into 2024, if whoever the nominee is, and it's likely to be Trump, I guess, isn't able to work this out, um, it could end up being costly next November. One thing I also noticed is that it, it seems like DeSantis is still acting like this is just a race between him and Trump. You know, he he did have some you know relatively mild uh, criticisms of Trump. Uh, Partly because he was prompted in the first debate question asked, you know, why uh, would should voters choose you over Trump? But also, you know, he, he slipped in some other things here and there. He seems to still in his mind just want to think that this is just a, a race between him and Trump and, and try and frame it that way that, you know, that, that he is, uh, you know, the, the only uh, person who can take on Trump. But the, the facts on the ground have changed. And and Nikki Haley has, has made this more of a competitive race for second. And he seems like he doesn't really want to engage that much and, and uh, make it seem like uh, he's he's he is. Uh, being challenged here, but but th those are the facts. And and do, do you think that uh, he his strategy uh, ha has failed to evolve uh, based on the circumstances? Well, the problem is that it, it's not a race with Trump. It's not it, he, by every poll we've seen, he's 20, 30, 40 points behind Trump. I mean, if if he were if Trump were at 43 percent and he were at 40 percent and everybody else were dividing up the remaining 20% or so. Yeah. Yeah. And then it is a race with Trump, but it's not. And he has not found the way to basically dig into the MAGA base, the Trump base, start pulling away those voters and then separate himself from Nikki Haley and the quote unquote establishment guys, other than, than Vivek, who's, who's more in that far right lane. And that's that's the problem that he has is and, and it's gotten really late in the game. It's November. Uh, what 
Iowa is what, 60 days away. Now he did, he did land a really important uh, endorsement. Uh, the Iowa governor has endorsed him. So that would help. And, you know, and, and Iowa is a caucus state. It, it, it's a lot of knocking on doors and shaking hands and, you know, getting your machine out to get them out. So it's a kind of a different animal than simply, you know, like Florida, where it's a huge media market and you have to make a splash in a debate or with a massive advertising campaign that is very costly. Iowa yeah. and New Hampshire are very different that way. So, you know, it's, it's a little dangerous to make predictions, you know, about a place like Iowa or New Hampshire, but nonetheless, he has not, as we've been talking about, he's not found his stride. He's not found his narrative that you see him pulling away voters, you know, because even polls in Iowa showed Trump well ahead of him. And and, and I don't think that DeSantis had a bad debate, but it, Haley has all the momentum right now among the candidates who aren't Trump. And where where is the moment that gives DeSantis some momentum and and tries to take away some of Haley's momentum? It seems to me like that's really what he needs to do is try and slow her momentum. But it, it seems like the folks who are gravitating towards her, there was there was nothing to to pull them away uh, uh, last night. And I, I just don't know if uh, that strategy is going to work for him. Well, while DeSantis uh, and the rest of the field were duking it out in Miami, Trump was a few miles away in Hialeah for a rally that drew a big crowd. The counter-programming event was an effort by Trump to overshadow his competitors and show his popularity with the GOP base. Hialeah is a blue-collar Hispanic community that is extremely pro-Trump. Antonio, I know you were monitoring the rally. Give us a sense of what it was like. Well, you know what, Zach? You know, we've been preparing for this for weeks. We knew the day would come where you would have this kind of a split screen moment between Trump and his Republican challengers. And you know what? At the end of the night, we actually did get a debate of sorts between Trump and his Republican rivals, or better said, you know, a real contrast, even though they were speaking on separate stages. Trump was in Hialeah. He came on the stage at about, you know, about the same time that the debate kicked off in downtown Miami. And he ended his speech just about the same time that, you know, DeSantis, Haley and the three others were giving their closing statements, you know, and Trump and the others, you know what, they all kind of talked about the same policy menu, the border with Mexico, China, trade, fears of World War III, the economy, energy policy. The big difference was in substance and tone. The Miami debate delved into policy. We heard about how many at how many weeks should the country ban abortions? How many more ships does the U.S. Navy need? And at what age should future generations of Americans expect to be able to retire? By contrast, Trump's speech was heavy on vitriol, but light on details other than him prom promising a strong economy and that the wars in Ukraine and Israel will end when he's elected and that he will carry out the largest deportation plan ever in U.S. history. And of course, a lot of talk about dismantling the deep state. You know, that was the bulk of the speech, which was filled with references to enemies of America and himself and vows to destroy the radical left, the communists, the Marxists, the fascists and the opposition. And, and that America only belongs to those the types of people that were in his attend in attendance last night. The deep state, by the way, is never really defined other than it's some aspect of government that Trump base has learned to despise, whether it be the FBI or or some other branch of government or agency. But a Trump 47 presidency, uh, you can bet on this, will wage war on government administration 
uh, to paraphrase him, like we've never ever seen before. You know, he's promised to persecute and prosecute even U.S. military leaders. And last night, by the way, you know, the warm-up acts by Roseanne Barr and Donald Trump Jr. were chock full of R-rated language, you know, words we can't say on this podcast, as they also really talked about the deep state. And although Trump, you know, I will say kind of toned down some of his routines, like, you know, he didn't walk around the stage mimicking what he says is the confused Joe Biden, um, or another routine, you know, he, he, in which he is kind of almost a comedic routine where he's mimicking a, a trans weightlifter. Um, but he did engage in a lot of, you know, sharpest, uh, it was pretty sharp vitriol. Now, the sharpest contrast, however, I think last night was between the 2023 version of Trump and the 2019 version of Trump. You know, voters may think of 2019 Trump as someone who took to Twitter and posted missives that, as his daughter Ivanka once said, communicated in a way that was not to everyone's taste. But the average voter will also probably recall that Trump did deliver a strong economy and some groundbreaking foreign policy initiatives. 2023 Trump, however, offers a much more dystopian and despising vision for Americans and one in which war on enemies takes up much of his time, focus, and attention. So the question for GOP voters in Florida and elsewhere is, do you want a nominee who's going to be able to go head-to-head with President Biden on the issues and beat him on the issues, and a president who is pretty unpopular on issues that you can win on, the economy, inflation, and so forth? Or are you going to go with 2023 version of Trump that rages and flails against deep state enemies and where governing seems to take a back seat? You know, if the polls are right, it's the latter, even if the overall public, those not in the MAGA movement, may not understand that completely. Antonio, uh, when Trump and DeSantis and some of the other candidates were in Florida uh, over the weekend in Orlando at a Florida GOP uh, summit, uh, Trump really didn't hold back. You know, I mean, this was DeSantis's home turf. Uh, A lot of uh, GOP activists uh, look at DeSantis favorably, uh, but he, he he didn't shy away from absolutely savaging him in front of uh, the, the crowd there. You know, he, he continued to call him to sanctimonious. He, he um, you know, he he was mocking him and, and talking about how he begged for his endorsement when he ran for uh, governor in 2018 and said that he had tears in his eyes and was was crying as he was begging for his endorsement. Uh, and, and the crowd, you know, didn't didn't uh, push back on that. And, and in fact, there were some people were, were laughing uh, as Trump was criticizing him. Uh, any any, uh, any of that at this uh, latest rally? What, what was his uh, posture towards uh, DeSantis and some of the other candidates? Well, no, he kept calling him DeSantis and basically, but didn't go into a lot of the, you know, what he has talked about, what you heard, what you just described, where he kind of tells a story about how DeSantis came crying to him and he rescued and saved them. I think, you know, the only, the only one that he really did mention without using the name was Vivek Ramaswamy, kind of you know, uh, applauded him for, you know, standing up for a lot of what Trump tends to talk about. Um, but I, you know, it, it was this, this debate and I, you know, you saw him in Orlando. Um, I saw him in West Palm beach last month. Uh, you know, I watched pretty much all his speeches. I saw the one in Orlando. This one was a bit more muted. I, I think that he he toned down. He didn't do some of these routines that he usually does. Like, as I mentioned, so this one was really heavy on deep state, heavy on government coming after uh, people. I think the most 
some of the most eyebrow raising uh, language was when he talked about a police state in America that is persecuting Catholics and Christians. And that, that was one of the guys were like, okay, what, you know, because when you listen to these things, sometimes you try to figure out, okay, because he, he doesn't go into details. He just throws things out there. So you know, I'm like thinking, okay, well, did I read about this somewhere? Did I, did I hear what, what that moment, you know? But that, that was it. I, I think some of the more bombastic language actually came from Roseanne Barr and Donald Trump Jr. And I, again, I can't repeat what they said because this is a uh, PG rated podcast. But a lot of the bombast was left to the undercards in his uh, rally last night, the warm up acts. He was a little bit more muted, a little bit more restrained, shall we say, than, than we have seen him before. Stephanie, uh, DeSantis won Miami-Dade County uh, when he ran for uh, re-election in 2022, and, and that was huge. Uh, you know, Republicans hadn't won uh, Miami-Dade in years. It is a key Democratic stronghold. I mean, if Democrats can't win Miami-Dade, they, they have no chance of uh, winning Florida. Um, but but Trump, uh, you know, so, and, and, and that w- winning Miami-Dade and winning Florida is a big part of DeSantis's argument about how, you know, uh, the GOP hasn't performed well uh, in the Trump era, but but I'm a winner, and 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 uh, if you go with me, uh, I can deliver us victory. Uh, Trump came to Miami Dade uh, and basically uh, tried to outshine DeSantis in in this uh, key base for him. What what did you think? I mean, what what what, what do you make of uh, Trump trying to lay claim to uh, the the hearts and minds of uh, GOP voters here in South Florida? Well, Miami is a really important base because. In Florida, you know, we have no, we've seen the bat, that last year, Miami-Dade County has read in significantly and it has around 1.5 million voters. But specifically, when it comes to Trump, Trump has a really big stronghold on the Hispanic community in Miami, which consists primarily of Cubans and Venezuelans. And, you know, we saw that, that he went when he went to Hialeah. Hialeah has around 95 percent Hispanic population. Um, looking at numbers alone, you know, we have I, I when I when I was looking at it last night, we have one point five million voters, around 60 percent are Hispanics. The majority are Republican. And and the unique portion about Miami is how strong and energetic this base is um, that when we see election years, you know, we see ra- rallies in Miami. They're vast. They're wild. They're energetic. That that's what we see. But both candidates are trying to ca- kind of trying to appeal to this base. So. Last night in the debate, when it came to DeSantis, that's something he spoke directly to in his first remarks when asked about Trump and how he's going to court these voters. The first thing he said was, you know, he's tired of Republicans losing, but he made wins in Miami. He made that 12 percentage point margin win in 2022. And Trump, well, on the other hand, Trump went to Hialeah and Trump said, you know, I, I have a big portion of the Hispanic community crowd coming here instead of going to the debate. And frankly, we didn't. That's true. We didn't see anyone around the debate. Um, when when I walked around, we didn't see any demonstrators. Uh, but, you know, instead, when it comes to Trump, we see tons of people show up at his rallies. And we also saw that with the with the arraignment in Miami, it was it was large crowds piling around the courthouse. So Trump really does have that factor and you know, in in Miami, he really has that hold on GOP voters, um, and and DeSantis is also trying to court that. But it, it's it's important to note here how much that the Florida GOP is really really trying to 
court and to rely on this his, this voting group in Miami that's become so crucial. Yeah, that's a really good point. You know, I mean, the Hispanic voters in Florida are huge. You know, it's a, they're a group that leans a, a little more Republican than Hispanic voters nationally. And Hialeah is actually obviously a, a huge uh, epicenter for the Hispanic vote in South Florida. So Trump going there and showing that uh, he has a strong support among uh, blue collar Hispanics was, uh, you know, him definitely trying to make a point that, uh, you know, he can uh, assemble the Republican uh, coalition uh, needed to win. So we'll, we'll see uh, how that uh, debate plays out. Well, we'll move on to some numbers here. Antonio, you want to tell us about yours? Yeah, Zach, I had uh, 61,633, and that is, as of this November, 12 months away from the all-important 2024 election, that number, 61,633, is the difference in the number of active, active registered Democrats and Republicans in Palm Beach County. Now, let me set the stage as to why this number is kind of important right now. In the 11 presidential midterm elections in Florida since 2002, Democratic candidates running statewide have, have already done very poorly. Part of it is that their shrinking voter base from Key West to Pensacola uh, has continued to basically shrink. In the past quarter century, Democratic candidates running statewide have relied more and more on the urban counties, especially South Florida in Miami-Dade, Broward, and Palm Beach counties. So this axiom this has been created that for a Democratic candidate, whether it's the presidential nominee or the attorney general nominee or the U.S. Senate candidate, that Democrat needed to win the South Florida counties by overwhelming margins in order to have a shot at being elected. That's been the formula in the 21st century. That formula got a shock in 2020 when Trump won large swaths of Hispanics in Miami-Dade County, leading to a comfortable 3.4 percentage point statewide win, although he lost nationally to President Biden. But that 3.4 percent, given what we had seen, going back to 2000, where Florida was decided by 537 votes, that 3.4 percent was a comparative landslide. But the jolt in 2020 was nothing compared to the 2022 shock and awe when Governor Ron DeSantis and the statewide Republican candidates rode to massive landslide wins and carried Miami-Dade and Palm Beach counties. That GOP sweep was so decisive and dominant that pundits that no longer consider Florida a swing state or a battleground state. It's just in the red GOP column now. So the post-mortem analysis after 2022 was that Democrats needed to get back in the game by refocusing on nuts and bolts of elections, including registering voters, and then making sure those voters cast ballots. That brings us to 61,633. Because, Zach, a year ago, the Democratic Party in Palm Beach County counted a lead over Republicans of 110,156 active voters. Now it's just over 61,000. So in fact, since a humiliating 2022 landslide, the GOP has further narrowed the Democrats' advantage in blue Palm Beach County by almost 50,000 votes. They cut that lead almost in half. In another year at this rate, uh, they may be close to even. And that could spell a game over scenario for Democrats running statewide. Now, there, we can talk about there's a number of reasons why this is a trend. One of them is demographics, people moving to the county. Uh, we are surmising are, are mostly GOP or GOP-leaning voters who are coming from blue states. Another is that there's been a surge in Hispanic evangelicals in places like Miami-Dade. And as Stephanie has reported earlier this year, and, and I talked on the podcast, there's been some distracting conflict within the Palm Beach County Democratic Party. So there are a lot of causes, but there's one result, and that is that right now, 
a month away or so from 2024, that election year is positioned to be another red tsunami in Florida. Yeah, that's such a huge issue, Antonio. Democrats struggled uh, to be competitive statewide when they had hundreds of thousands of more registered voters than Republicans. Now Republicans have hundreds of thousands of more registered voters than Democrats in Florida, partly because, uh, you know, you see blue counties like Miami-Dade and and, uh, my, uh, and and Palm Beach getting more competitive. And, and it's hard to see uh, if, if Democrats were having problems when they had a voter registration advantage. Now that they're at a disadvantage, it's, it's really a difficult to see how they're going to be competitive going forward. Stephanie, uh, you want to tell us about your number? Yeah, so my number is 56.6, and that's basically, that's the percentage of voters who approved the constitutional amendment in Ohio Tuesday night that would ensure access to abortion and other forms of reproductive health care. But what what's so important about this number is, you know, Democrats had victories all over the nation Tuesday, especially on abortion, but that vote came up in last night's debate where all the candidates gave their perspectives on abortion and described whether they'd support a federal abortion ban. You know, as I said earlier, DeSantis treaded carefully on this topic, but Haley, she got the most spotlight on this discussion for saying that although she doesn't agree with the states that voted for abortion, the voters decided. And so her message was to find consensus to bring more accessible uh, reproductive health and contraception. Um, her message was was to find that sort of middle ground. And, and because she said that, you know, realistically, that there, the votes were not in Congress to have a federal abortion ban. So, you know, other candidates talked about their positions. Tim Scott really emphasized that fi- that 15 week federal abortion ban, which Haley responded again that the votes weren't there. And she she said she wanted to be honest to voters. But that message really, really resonated with voters to find consensus for the moderate Republicans who are worried about these GOP losses that have been nationwide since the Dobbs decision. You know, 2022 was also a tough year because of abortion nationwide. And and Tuesday night also showed that same pattern. So moderate Republicans really got to have a good eye with Nikki Haley last night, at least with when it came to the abortion discussion. Yeah, I, I thought the abortion uh, discussion last night was really interesting. Uh, you know, Haley, as you said, gave a much more nuanced answer on this issue than we've really uh, seen from a lot of Republicans. Uh, DeSantis had really doubled down on his uh, anti-abortion message. Uh, it, it, and you you see how the party is sort of grappling with this issue and and trying to uh, figure out uh, how, how they're going to message this going forward, because uh, the political headwinds uh, on abortion for the GOP look pretty pretty strong. And uh, I think we're going to see that here in Florida. Well, we might, uh, you know, there's there's a uh, effort to get a, a, a abortion rights amendment on the ballot here. The state has a, a higher threshold to pass uh, constitutional amendments than Ohio. You'd have to get uh, 60% of the vote. But if they are able to get it on the ballot, it really could be a big uh, wild card here in Florida in uh, 2024 as well. Well, my number is 65. That's the traditional retirement age, but there's a debate about whether younger people should have to wait longer to be able to draw a social security check. And that issue really flared up at last night's uh, GOP primary debate when the candidates were asked about social security form. uh, And there was actually a, a really interesting contrast between Haley and DeSantis. Haley said, 
anybody saying that there doesn't need to be some entitlement reforms is not being honest. And she said she would raise the age for retirement for younger people who are currently in their 20s. And she also took a jab at DeSantis and at Trump on the issue, saying they're really in the same camp as Pelosi and Chuck Schumer and not wanting to touch entitlements. Trump has completely changed the debate in the GOP on entitlement reform and, and tried to take it off the table uh, as an issue. It's uh, been seen by some Republicans as, as hurting the party, uh, you know, and it's given Democrats some ammunition to, to say that uh, Republicans want to, you know, take away your Social Security or your Medicare. And so Trump has really uh, gone against the grain of uh, the Republican orthodoxy uh, on this issue. And, and he's taken a lot of people in the party uh, with him. DeSantis seems to be uh, taking a cue from Trump when he was pressed, uh, he said that he wouldn't re uh, point blank. He said he wouldn't uh, raise the retirement age because he said life expectancy is actually uh, declining in this country. So it didn't make sense uh, to raise the, the retirement age if life expectancy is going down. And DeSantis is position just was further highlighted how uh, the debate has changed within the Republican party on this issue. But it's clear that uh, there's still uh, quite a few people like Haley uh, and others who are worried about entitlement spending. So uh, this seems like a very live issue uh, for Republicans in this primary cycle. That wraps up another episode of Inside Florida Politics. I want to thank our audio production guru, Thomas Cordy. And thanks to all of you for listening. We're out of here. Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.